Welcome back. This is the Hockey Flow. I'm pleased to share with Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher, both of which you can find on Twitter. Marco can be found at MN D'Amico, that's M-N-D-A-M-I-C-O on Twitter, and Adam can be found at Really Adam B. And you can know how to spell that if you don't. Well, you might have to change the podcast. Let's get right into it. I'm AJ Cordero. Let's get into the hockey summer that we had. It was kind of nuts. It was kind of all over the place. We thought certain draft picks were getting picked. Then huge upsets. We remain quiet through all of this, except, of course, if you were following Marco D'Amico on Twitter, he was most certainly not quiet. Uh, but in any case, we will have the time now to articulate everything, because today is Tuesday, August the 23rd, 2022. So we've had a lot of time to digest this information. There's been more trades. There's been more backroom uh, choices that have been made at the Habs organization. Let's get right into it. Marco, where do we start off? Yeah, so I guess we, we can start immediately with the draft, uh, if, you're, if you're following the Canadians here. So, I mean, the shock of... of Uri Slavkovsky going first overall when all intents and purposes up until the very day looked as if it would be Shane Wright going first overall. In fact, Shane Wright sliding to fourth overall at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, being live at the Bell Centre and being able to witness that, the shock was real. Um, what was really interesting about that pick, and I, I, it's always going to be like this weird kind of like D-Day moment for, for people that were in the stands, in the media section of the Bell Center, we were all just kind of sitting. So you have the media, accredited media for the entire NHL kind of sitting in the stands right across from the stage uh, on the opposite end of the Bell Center. And it's six o'clock. Draft starts in about an hour. And all of a sudden, the betting lines are starting to shift. And you see Shane Wright's lead slowly start to go away. And then with not even 10 minutes left to go to the draft, they're equal the draft starts and boom Slavkovsky is now the favorite they've closed the betting lines and then you you heard Kent Hughes call out his name and the bell center was in shock you could have it was incredible you almost heard a pin drop at a certain point and it took all of 10 minutes and that shock became a party atmosphere uh, as soon as they announced the Kirby Doc trade where the Montreal Canadiens traded Alexander Romanov and a fourth-round pick for uh, the 13th overall pick in 2022, and then flipped that and a third-round pick for Kirby Doc. Um, so a lot of fans thought that the Canadians were trading up to pick fourth overall and, and finally select um, Shane Wright, but it turned out that they were going after a bigger, faster center uh, in, in, in Doc instead of Wright. Um, so it, it made for a pretty eventful day one. And then, obviously, watching Slavkovsky uh, get to the Tivia media booth, having to go through the crowd, uh, and, and basically, like, it was like a mob of people just drowning in on him, and he took it in full stride. So it was, it was a pretty impressive draft. Um, from an, I don't, like, I lived it live, so I don't know what was on TV, but Adam, like, how did you take in, like, that kind of a moment? When it happened, I was ready to throw stuff. I was in a hotel room in Florida, and I was just ready to break everything. Like, it was, it just felt like it was a Shane Wright moment, right? And I just fast forward a couple of weeks now, and, and wow, Slavkovsky looks like he's, he was the real number one all along, right? It's... I, it's it's a difficult thing to look at because I don't think he was necessarily the number one all along, but he his trajectory put him in the conversation for number one, and then he became the number one because that kind of a rapid developmental growth, given the unique style of play that he plays, I think 
you know, that's where you kind of make the point. And, you know, Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes have actually each individually said that in their decision for picking Slavkovsky, they actually mocked the next two drafts to see what kind of players are going to be available there. Uh, the way the Canadians are set up right now, they might be picking top 10 again this year uh, in 2023. And 2023 is loaded. And I mean loaded with top six centers. So it, it made kind of sense to go for the power forward that there's likely not going to, there's only one type of power forward like him in, in this upcoming draft. And it seems to be Adam Fantilli uh, of uh, the NCAA. I believe he's going to Michigan. Other than that, you're not going to get a player like Sapkowski. So it's, I can understand what they did and they really wanted to get bigger up front. They sure as heck did it uh, on in the first 15 minutes of, uh, of day and one. There, the there's no way they, they drafted Slavkovsky without knowing they were getting Doc, right? Because, like... Oh, they confirmed that. They confirmed so that they, the Doc trade was already in the works before they just, selected So you flash forward 15 minutes later or so, and you get Doc, so you get your center, you get two big bodies in, in what, a 30-minute span? And now, just flash forward to today, a couple weeks later... Uh, everything just makes even more sense. Uh, we're going to talk about the Monaghan uh, acquisition, but like you get a bunch of moving pieces since, and it, it just feels right uh, to have not picked right, if, if, if we say so. But Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's definitely a point of contention to understand that. Um, what I do, in fact, like is the selection of Owen Beck in the second round. Uh, Owen Beck, by all accounts and purposes, was seen as a first-round pick uh, by most individuals that cover the draft. The best defensive center uh, in the OHL last year and basically had some of the highest uh, metrics out of anybody playing in the OHL uh, that was draft eligible other than Shane Wright. In fact, many people called him Shane Wright Light because he had everything that Shane Wright has except that Shane Wright has it at the, the, that next level. So... It's an interesting player to go and pick. And then obviously, uh, Philip Mesar, uh, that was picked with Calgary's first round pick, also a very intriguing prospect. One of the things that came out of that draft, and I'll, I'll you know, I spotted this uh, from, from the booth, was that Kent Hughes and Ron Hextall had a few conversations on the draft floor on day one and day two. And a lot, you know, I was, I was talking to my, my direct boss who covers Pittsburgh, and I said, watch. Jeff Petrie. He's like, nah, you know, they are, they're going to find another way to get a right shot D. They don't even have the cap space. And then within a week, John Marino ends up going to New Jersey. And then Jeff Petrie gets traded for Michael Matheson. Uh, so it, I, I, that was a domino deal that the, the, uh, the Penguins were looking to do. They were looking to flip Marino and they found a taker. And now, you know, they were able to go and get a guy like Jeff Petrie, who's far more offensive. It, it bodes well. And I, again, you're talking about the moves the Canadians made. That was one. And then obviously, you know, the Monaghan trade was genius. And I, you know, I just want to talk about Michael Matheson for a sec. You know, having a guy like Michael Matheson, the way he's going to go, can kind of bring elements of offense to the game is something they desperately needed if they were going to move on from Jeff Petrie. The question is, are you going to get the Michael Matheson who played for the Pittsburgh Penguins last year? Or are you going to get the Michael Matheson that got that, that was, you know, as bad as he was that he needed to be traded out of Florida shortly after signing that extension? 
either way, I feel like we're winning on that trade. Like you're shedding a bit of salary. You're you're trading Petrie, who doesn't want to play here anymore, for for whatever reason, fam like family reason or whatsoever. And you're getting Madison, who since he got here, like all the interviews he's done, he he clearly states he wants to play here, right? So, uh, and and. We're not going to be like, we're going to be in a rebuild for a couple of years now. So uh, it just feels like Matheson's the kind of guy you would want on your back end with Edmondson to maybe mentor those younger defensemen. But uh, that's that's a W for, for as far as the trade goes. The people that I spoke to when that trade went down were livid in Pittsburgh and in Montreal. And I found that if both sides are upset, then it's actually a fair trade. And so like when you, when you look at a, a situation like this, Pittsburgh fans were really happy with Matheson, other than the couple of own goals uh, in the playoffs. He had a really stellar season. And so to see them trade him for a guy like Jeff Petrie means that they were going at it, you know, they were trying to go at it at maximum uh, value and really maximize the core that they just finished signing, right? They had just signed Chris Latan, they had just signed uh, Evgeny Malkin, and that kind of gave them the ability to then plan fiscally to go and get a guy like Jeff Petrie, who fits in perfectly now behind a guy like Chris Latan, just like he used to fit in perfectly behind a guy like Shea Weber. And so now you have a weld, you know, anchored one-two on your defense moving forward. I see why Pittsburgh did it. And I could see why Montreal did it. My, you know, Matheson being a former client of Kent Hughes, being a local player as well, and, and playing a style that not many Montreal Canadiens currently play or prospects will be playing in, in, the, in the short term. So I like that move. Um, I think it could have significant value, especially I would foresee Michael Matheson playing on the first power play wave. I don't know about you guys. I, I think... I think that he would take that spot over Chris Weidman and Weidman would get, you know, second power play wave and rotate with prospects if they want to give him the offensive opportunities. But I think Michael Matheson is going to end up getting that first power play utilization, which is good because he didn't have any power. He barely had power play utilization with Pittsburgh and he was one of the best five on five scorers for defensemen. So if we can add on power play time, we'll, we'll see where his offense takes him. And he's probably ultimately going to get paired with one of the rookie defensemen or one of those younger players coming in, uh, trying to prove they can earn the roster spot. So he's gonna he's gonna play a lot in Montreal, and he's he's gonna get a ample ice time for sure. But the real trade that I that we I I think all three of us love is the Monahan trade, right? Uh, where we basically got Monaghan and a free first overall pick for, for future considerations. So, uh, yeah, first round pick. I won't even go into those conditions, but we're basically, if I read correctly, we're getting a first round pick before 2025. Uh, it, could, it could be a first in 2024, it could be a first in 2025, or it could be a first in 2026, depending on all the uh, potential outcomes. Um, definitely not something that is for the faint of heart. I built a chart for it. It almost killed me. But uh, it clearly lawyers built that trade. Like, I'm not even going to lie to you. It, it, it's incredible. So 
What came out of this for me is that the Montreal Canadiens were finally able to get clarity on Carey Price, and in so were able to utilize their cap space to the maximum value so they can extract a first-round pick. Um, this very much reminds me of when uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs had to pay a first-round pick to the Carolina Hurricanes so that they can take on and then buy out the contract of, of Patrick Marlowe. I think it's very much kind of in the same ilk, and that's the going price right now is you have to pay a first-round pick. Uh, there is potential for the Canadians to bank on that pick. Like Right now, I think Kent Hughes is banking on the fact that one of Florida or Calgary is going to bomb between now and the end of the 2024-2025 season, and that's going to wind up being a valuable pick that they could either use to select a really good player or use as, as a trade chip uh, moving forward because they could still move that pick as well, you know, allowing you know, for, for a plethora of opportunities. I am not necessarily stoked only on the first round pick, but also the potential that a guy like Sean Monahan can bring. There's, you know, a couple of options that we could we could look at here. You could actually have players like Monahan, you know, find their game again now that they're healthy. I mean, he's had both his both surgery, uh, two surgeries on each, well, a surgery on each hip, uh, and he feels like he's at 100 percent now. And 100 percent healthy Monahan in my opinion, is a 50-point player at least. You know, if he can really kind of play up to what he used to do and be used in offensive situations, I, you know, I wouldn't think that it would be an outlandish thing. And now, you know, bearing health, that's what I think he can do. Then it becomes the question of, do the Canadians flip him at trade deadline or do they sign him to an extension? Because a Monaghan who's on his game is going to... He's 28 years old at the start of this season. He's, he's still in his prime. If he's willing, you know, if the if the cap hit is reasonable, then signing him to a four or five year deal might not be the worst thing in the world, especially if he finds his game again. But then again, you went and signed a guy like Kirby Doc, or sorry, you went and traded for a guy like Kirby Doc. You know, it'd be kind of a waste to go and get and sign Monahan long term unless they shift him to the wing uh, and have a guy like Kirby Doc that you'd like to bring along as a top six center as well. So there's a lot that kind of goes into that. But it's definitely uh, the Canadians gave themselves the luxury of choice in acquiring a guy like Monaghan because a lot of the people I've spoken to said if he can come back to health, uh, this is this is going to be uh, at worst, at worst a forty point center. So that's pretty that's something that's very useful and it could be an important trade chip for the Canadians should they choose. Yeah, and I feel like most people are like they they, they see Monaghan as just flipping him at the deadline for. But I mean, he's he's getting a first round pick if healthy. If if he's a rental for a cup run for for the team that acquires him, he gets at least another first. Uh, but I would I would just love to see the Habs extend him for for a fair cap hit for a couple years. If if it's a low cap hit, why not play him on on second or third line? And he's just he, he's a young veteran. He's twenty seven, so. Uh, he could be a good young uh, like mentor for the younger centers, and, and we mentioned Doc, we mentioned Suzuki, uh, even Jake Evans to an extent. So I would just love to see Montreal uh, extend him if if he's healthy enough and plays up to a certain potential for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely going to be options. There's there's a lot of bodies they've brought in. I mean, we haven't even talked about the Shea Weber trade that brought in uh, Vinny Dadanov either. That's another player that, 
you know, is going to be interesting to look at because Dadanov, again, another player that is set to be a free agent next year, like uh, Monahan, again, giving them options at trade deadline if they just, you know, if they're able to bring up these guys um, and play them to a, a degree where teams are interested in acquiring them for their own playoff runs, well, then that will allow, you know, these kinds of moves to happen at deadline. And the Canadians are, you know, for all intents and purposes, going to be sellers at deadline. And at that point, you have, you know, uh, Jonathan Drouin, uh, you have Monaghan, you have Dadunov, you have Byron, you have Jake Allen. There are a lot of players that the Canadians can move on from at deadline to, you know, allow the kids to kind of come in and finish the season. So I really like the flexibility that they've offered themselves because now they've opened up a lot of cap space for future years. But they've also given themselves the luxury and the ability to spend that money as they see fit moving forward. And if if we're actual sellers and we saw all those names we mentioned, how many picks are we going to get next draft? Like, you try and bank most like the most you can next year. Do you do you try to bank for, for future years as well? It's going to be interesting to see what Ken Hughes does. Yeah, I mean he's got options. Definitely, um, definitely going to be something interesting for me. I think that um, you know. The benefit that he has is that you're putting your young players with talented players, which is always important. You're surrounding them with talent, experience, and that's what you want. It'll help them in their development, but at the same time, you have you know valuable trade chips that you can use when the time is right uh, to flip for further young assets and continue to kind of replenish your roster with key veterans throughout your time, because now they're going to be, you know, they're going to have over 20 million in cap space next year with, I mean, their main free agent is going to be Cole Caulfield to sign. Right. So you're going to be able to kind of play within that and, and decide, you know, who, what do we need to add? What do we need to do? Who do we need to target? And they're going to have far more flexibility to do it than they ever have, than they have basically since the summer of 2020. So let's look at some other Habs news, and specifically, Stefan Robidab named to the assistant coaching position. Newest member. This was news that came out about a month ago, but we're capturing it now because that's where we're doing the show. Adam, take us off. Yeah, so Stefan Robidab was named assistant coach. Uh, he's basically going to be joining uh, Martin Saint-Louis and Alex Burroughs behind the bench. Uh, I love the signing he's going to be able to mentor we, we mentioned the Habs are going to have a very young defensive core uh, I feel like he's just a great a great coach to have behind the bench and basically to help those younger defensemen ease in into the, the NHL so great hire for, for the Canadians one thing that I was looking forward to and I really think that it's going to be interesting is when he came on, the first thing that he said is it's all about development. It's all about development. It's all about young players progressing. And ironically enough, Rabida was supposed to be an assistant coach for the Sherbrooke Phoenix before he accepted the offer from the Montreal Canadiens. Um, so he was actually going to be the assistant coach of the team that Joshua Hua plays for in the queue. To see him kind of take the next step and jump, uh, it's another out-of-the-box hire again from the Montreal Canadiens. You know, Kent Hughes was an out-of-the-box hire. Martin St. Louis was an out-of-the-box hire. And here we have this this hire that nobody saw coming. And it's what I like because Robida, you know, we can make all the jokes about Robida Island. They're hilarious, and that's fine. But at least he has played 
in the modern NHL. He knows where the game is, where it's going. He can give real-life experience to these kids. Um, and he has experience dealing with younger players. And I think that's the kind of trend that we're starting to see is that we're starting to see coaches that deal or have experience dealing with teaching more so than coaching as a developmental standpoint. And I think that that's a shift in philosophy that shouldn't be undervalued. I think we're going to be looking into that moving forward uh, a little bit more. And it's extremely important because the Canadians have an incredible wave of young defensemen coming in. You know, Jordan Harris, Justin Barron, Caden Gooley, Arbor uh, Jackeye, uh, Matthias Norlander. Uh, you're going to have Lane Hudson sooner rather than later. You know, uh, William Trudeau. There, there's a lot of guys, Jaden Struble, that they're, they're going to be bringing in uh, that are going to need that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of guidance. So having that structurally put in place uh, so that it matches the philosophy top down, I think is a smart move. It's going to be interesting to see how he plays this year uh, how, or how he performs this year with the team. If he's going to, you know, project the same style that he played as a player, which was up-tempo, offensive style. Uh, and if it is, it's going to be an exciting time for the Montreal Canadiens because there's going to be a lot of offense and some questionable defense. Let's turn our attention now to the rookies. And they're participating in the Prospects Challenge in Buffalo, but the rookie camp opens on September 14th at the Bell Sports Complex. Marco, you're the expert when it comes to the rookies. Take us away. Yes, so rookie camp is going to be interesting this year because uh, there's going to be a rookie tournament as well in Buffalo that they're going to be attending. Now, it's it's going to be interesting this year because there are a lot of top-end players that are going to be there. Uh, I recently spoke with Owen Beck. I know he's going to be there. Uh, Uri Slavkovsky and Philip Mesar are already in Montreal and are expected to be there. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of fun to be had at that, at, at that camp because... There are a lot of players that have either are on the cusp of turning pro or would be valid AHL players at this point if it wasn't for the CHL-NHL agreement, such as a guy like Joshua Hua. So you're going to have a lot of these picks kind of coming together at the right time. Even Caden Gooley, Arba Jackai. Like, it's going to be interesting to have them all together at once because it hasn't been the case for, for one reason or another, COVID being the biggest the biggest detractor of it all. You're going to have it all this year, uh, and you're going to be able to see them against the, the opposition's, uh, you know, the other, play, uh, other organizations' prospects as well. And, you know, I, I, usually we don't see that many, or we haven't seen that many in the past players go from rookie camp to the main camp. It's usually the older players, the players that are like 21, 22. I think we're going to see a lot this year. I think we're going to see at least seven or eight of the names that I've already brought up are going to be at the Canadians' main camp. And you might see some 18-year-olds, like obviously Slavkovsky and Mesa are going to be at the Canadians' main camp. I, I'm not worried at all because they, they need to know where those guys are going to play in the hierarchy. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Joshua Hua again invited to the main camp. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see an Owen Beck surprise and be invited to the main camp. It, it's, it serves these kids well to play against NHL talent in the training camp and, and you know, take notes, send them back with constructive criticism, communicate with the coaching staff in their, the, the junior teams that they're going to be playing or the amateur teams they're going to be playing with and have them work on those things because a lot of these guys are going to go back to junior and are going to be vying for a spot at the World Junior Championships or the playoffs of their respective leagues. Development in that key is going to be important. So this is where bringing in 
these coaching staffs and having such a, a, a more developed, um, you know, a developmental staff, pun intended, is going to be interesting because now they're going to be able to hone in on what these players are doing right and wrong and send them back with the right knowledge they need to get better. And we basically know Slavkovsky is going to be at camp, as you mentioned. He's pushing for a roster spot. But what interests me the most is is those two defenders you, you mentioned, Gouli and Jackai. Like they they've both dominated their junior leagues and they're like both are done with juniors. Like they have to play either in Laval or get games with the Canadians. So I I, I can't wait to see them at camp and how they, they they've developed uh, up until now and I can't wait to see them at, at the Montreal camp as well. Yeah, and you know their camp is big, uh, especially for Gouli because he skipped on the World Junior Championships, right? He was the captain of the December edition and was advised not to go. In fact, the Canadians advised practically everybody that had a shot to make the roster not to go to the World Junior Championships this year, um, mainly because it's the first big camp that this new management team is going to get to have, and they're going to want to see their players at their best so that they can make the best decisions on where to send them for their development. And I, you know, a guy like Caden Gooley has a legitimate chance of cracking this roster. He does. Uh, you know, would it necessarily be the best for his development? I don't think so, but he has the talent, the poise to, to crack this roster right now. Um, I would prefer he play in the American Hockey League personally because you would want him to, to kind of develop his two-way game that he really worked on well in the juniors this year. He really picked up the offense. You want him, you want him to carry that momentum into the pros And to do that, I think it'd be better to start him in Laval so that he can come into Montreal and be more than just a defensive defenseman and be kind of that two-way force that you would want. It, and, and that's what these camps are good for, is that you're able to kind of see, like, is he ready for it? Is he, are there, there are aptitudes that he needs to work on so that he can be optimal in the role that we want him to be in? And in that evaluation, you kind of make a decision. So giving yourself more time and more data such as a rookie camp, a training camp, to be able to make those decisions is going to be very important. But at least they have the tools to do so this time around. And with more data and more analysis, you can always tune in more to the Hockey Flow, where you're going to get all the info dumped of all the hockey world that you would want when it comes to the Habs, at least. Again, my thanks to Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher, both of which you can find on Twitter. And again, I'm Adrian Cordero. Catch you all hopefully next week. Cheers. <laughs>